This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 1st, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Fifty years ago, Milton Friedman penned an essay entitled The Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Its Profits. Recently, the New York Times examined the essay with a variety of responses to see how well Friedman's claim held up. Cato's Diego Zuluaga discusses their conclusions. So Friedman wrote an essay for the New York Times magazine, actually, in 1970, the title of which was the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. And the subtitle was A Friedman Doctrine. So this was very much an attempt by Friedman, uh, which at the time many regarded as very successful, to argue that far from having vague notions of corporate social responsibility or a responsibility to people other than the people who own your business, if you were a corporate executive at a large firm in America, you should care about delivering returns to shareholders, as high returns as you can within the law and within ethical constraints as we would regard them in, in you know, Western society and so on. Um, it wasn't really all that controversial an argument. I think at the time what he was essentially saying, and, and this, was, this has been then taken as sort of having shaped the way that corporate executives think forevermore. I think it is it has been less influential than that, even though it has been influential. But what Friedman was trying to say is that large companies from the 50s onward had become increasingly large bureaucracies in which it was difficult to measure performance other than by looking at the bottom line, by looking at the income statement and see what the returns were on a business. And if you as a corporate executive weren't subjected to the discipline of having to deliver good returns compared to other firms, then you would be able to take advantage of your position and spend on projects that maybe were helpful to you or did cater to your own charitable impulses and charitable tastes at the expense of shareholders and workers and customers. Uh, and uh, in that way, extract rent in a way that, um, that was undesirable for everyone else. That was really, I think, Friedman's main point. So in taking on this uh, claim that Friedman made so long ago, what is the New York Times arguing? Well, the New York Times is making, I think, to begin with, they, they are asking for guest contributions from executives from different corporations, today's executives, some academics and some other commentators. A few of the comments that have been submitted are positive, favorable to Friedman. The majority are critical of it. And they are critical of the idea that businesses should only care about shareholders. And here is where I think we need to specify a little more what Friedman's argument was. Friedman wasn't saying that companies should mistreat workers in order to increase profit, or that they should cheat customers in order to do so, or that they should pollute the environment in order to increase the profits to the firm, if they could feasibly do so. He was saying that we live in a competitive economy in which if you're a worker and you are offered a lower wage than you could get elsewhere, you can leave, you can move. If you're a customer and you don't like a product, you walk away, you buy from another supplier. And if you're a community, presumably you have taxing powers and regulatory powers, of course, but you can also, uh, in other ways, try and shape the behavior of the firm. If you're a shareholder, you're the ultimate owner. You're the one who's going to get whatever is left over after everyone else has been paid off. So it's only fair that you would have the first right to monitor the corporate executive's behavior. And I think that is missed in a lot of the critiques. A lot of the critiques take a strawman argument arguing that shareholder primacy means that you can do badly by other people. And that wasn't Friedman's argument at all. 
Yeah, you uh, imagine all of the various corporate scandals that have occurred uh, just in the last few years, and uh, to the extent that I, I imagine BP, the Deepwater Horizon uh, travesty, uh, if the purpose, or I should say, the social responsibility of corporations is to increase uh, profits on behalf of shareholders, well. Almost immediately after that uh, tragic event, dumping dumping hundreds of millions of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, $90 billion was wiped off of BP's uh, capitalization. So that itself is a, is a pretty significant decline in value, and no one would argue uh, that uh, BP was engaging in any kind of social responsibility at all. Absolutely. And, you know, as you say, it had a huge impact on the firm's reputation. Uh, it, it, BP also had to pay significant fines as a result of this. But Friedman also addressed this in his essay, not only in the sense that reputation makes firms concerned about doing well by other people, because it is the only way to be profitable in the long run. And that's really what matters. That's what the stock price tells you after all, right? It's the expectation of profits all the way into the future. But Friedman also said, we shouldn't confuse as undermining his argument, therefore as corporate social responsibility, initiatives, for example, to benefit a community or to pay for the college tuition of your workers or your workers' children or something like that, if you think either that enhances the reputation of the firm or it has some other quite tangible benefits to the firm in the, in the form of a, a happier, better trained workforce and so on, those are driving the bottom line as well. So those are perfectly consistent with this quote-unquote Friedman doctrine. So it's a much broader, more sophisticated way of reasoning than simply saying you should make as much profit this quarter as you possibly can and forget about everything else. Yeah, there there's a there appears to be at least a little bit of confusion here about whether or not what Milton Friedman was saying was either was a positive or a normative claim. Right. Yes, well I think I think he was he was making both really. He was saying on one hand, clearly if you are raising capital for people and they are the owners of the enterprise that is put together with that capital, and they're paying you to manage the firm, typically what they want is to get a return on that investment. There will be exceptions in which companies or nonprofits are set up for other purposes, of course, but the majority of the time, it's to get good returns out of that. And that is the moral thing to do because that's what you've been hired to do. But I think he was also saying it is the way to have an efficient economy, to reduce waste. It's very difficult as we talk about a lot of the time when discussing market economics, it's very difficult to uh, discern the workings of a market economy. But we have little measures like prices and profits that tell us where resources are being adequately used. And we should use those measures wisely. If you look at a major listed corporation today with operations in various different countries of the world, supplying thousands of different products, employing thousands of different people and so on, you couldn't really measure performance very well according to several different criteria of you know social responsibility and environmental performance and, and base you have to look you have to get a summary measure of whether the company is doing things well and that is whether in the environment in which it operates according to the laws of the land and the competitive uh, markets with which it has to deal whether it can deliver a healthy return whether it's actually there is actually anything left over after all these resources are put into the firm and then something comes out and the fact that there is something left over means that your workers are happy to pay and produce something that people want, that people are happy to buy what you have, and so happy that your shareholders are actually getting a return. 
So it's a way to have efficiency in an economy in which we have a lot of imperfect knowledge. Joseph Stiglitz, uh, another Nobel laureate in economics, uh, makes a, a point here. He basically asks the question, is it Mark Zuckerberg's social responsibility to allow wanton disinformation to roam over his social media platform? It is Zuckerberg's responsibility to lobby to get rid of a pesky foreign competitor while fighting for his company to be free from anti-competitive restraints and any accountability, so long as it increases his bottom line, question mark. He adds, Friedman would say yes. First of all, I think Friedman would say that, and it's always difficult to put words into Friedman's mouth because he was much more eloquent than most of us, but I think Friedman would say that Stiglitz's response is a straw man to the extent that the kind of behavior he lists in the first, in the first place about Facebook allowing disinformation to roam free would probably lead the platform's reputation definitely over the medium and long run, but also probably the user base to decline. So it wouldn't be even rational for shareholders to encourage that kind of behavior. That's in the first place. And in the second place, Stiglitz is highlighting something that unfortunately we have in the US, but also in, in most Western economies, which is a profound presence of business in government because of the government's increasing influence on business. Business wants to be involved in policies and it wants to shape which competitors are allowed to enter, of course, and who should be allowed to do what, and particularly preserve dominant positions in certain places. But the only way they can do so is because government has arrogated to itself so many powers to regulate economic activity. If government didn't have those powers in the first place, there would be no one to lobby. So Stiglitz, who is normally an advocate of greater interventions and more government redistribution and spending and so on, I think should be made aware that the behavior he is describing, which I agree with him, is harmful, is uh, a consequence of those policies a lot of the time. I would like to add that Friedman was definitely influential after writing his essay, but the context is also important. He was, he was speaking about what he observed. In 1970, the American economy was moving from one in which its dominant firms were dominant globally to one in which Europe was resurgent after rebuilding after World War II. There was increasing competition from Japan in other areas. And so the kind of quiet, relaxed business behaviors that we might have seen in the 50s and 60s, which are associated with corporate social responsibility and being very involved in your community, not being too concerned about short-term returns and so on, become less tenable because capital is so mobile and competition is so fierce, both in, in domestically and internationally. And so it was influential to the extent that it helped people understand why it was important to pay more attention to returns and to be very specific in analyzing firm performance. That's clear. I don't think that lesson should be forgotten. I think it is easy for corporate executives to say that they care about stakeholders as well as shareholders. It benefits them because the more unclear the performance measures are in a business, the more power they have to decide on resource allocation according to their own preferences and, and desires. And that's something that anyone who is a manager would like. And, you know, this is not a criticism of individual people, but just the way we would all behave. That's the way our incentives point to. But I don't think much as we have discovered new things about the environmental impact of certain industries and so on, and we want to address those to the extent that they require action, I don't think that changes the idea that shareholders are the ultimate decision-making point, and that firms need to first and foremost focus on profits. Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.